And let's turn on our Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 17 this morning. If you are with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisle right now with Bibles. And they, you just get their attention, they'll get one into your hands. The Bible will be marked to the passage. And so important to be able to hear the Word of God, but also to be able to read it with your own eyes. And uh, so get, get their attention for that. Sunday mornings, we're looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. This morning, we want to look at a single verse, John chapter 17, verse 13. Uh, Jesus is uh, speaking, he is uh, even praying, and he declares in verse 13 to the Father, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, and here for our purposes this morning, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful that we never, whether we're in our morning devotional times or in the evening with your word open or in Modesto, California or Ceres or in Africa or Asia or Europe, we never have to turn to your word alone, that your teacher is always with us, your Holy Spirit is always present with us and eager to open your word up to us and to speak what is on the printed page right into the specifics of of our life at any moment in time. And we just pray for that dynamic of your Holy Spirit to be upon the word this morning, that we would hear your voice, Lord, and everything that you want to build into our lives, that through your word this morning, that you would do that. Everything that needs to be readjusted or even cut out of our lives, that you would accomplish that as well. We gladly surrender to you this morning. Ask that you continue to conform us into the image of our Savior, the image of Jesus. And Lord, now use your word to accomplish that. And we ask it in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We remember that in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples on the night before his crucifixion. We also remember that this prayer that he is praying, he prays out loud. He didn't do that uh, often. And when and this is the longest recorded prayer that we have in all of Scripture. And the reason that Jesus prayed this prayer out loud, obviously, was because he intended the disciples to hear that prayer. And in hearing that prayer, learn something about his heart Uh, And about his heart toward them and what was important to him in prayer. The Bible teaches that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you and I. He never stops praying for us. And one of the questions that can come into our minds is what does he pray about for us? What are the things that are most important to him when he looks at your life and my life as a Christian and is interceding for us? I don't say that this John chapter 17 is exhaustive in terms of what he intercedes for us uh, related to, but it certainly gives us great, great revelation and insight into what is supremely important to him as he looks at our lives and as he looks uh, at, at our needs. And in this prayer of Jesus for us as Christians, he prays to the Father concerning us, uh, in four areas primarily, for four things primarily. As we've seen, 
He prays for our sanctification. That is, that the Father would be actively involved in our lives on a daily basis to make our lives holy, to keep us from being conformed into the image of this world and what this world fashions people into, that the Father would be actively involved in making us like Christ. We've also seen that he prays for us for our keeping, that is, for our protection. The world is a very dangerous place for everyone in the world, but it's especially dangerous for Christians. And so he prays that the Father will keep us in the dangerous physical uh, arena that this fallen world is, but also the dangers that it represents to us spiritually. As we'll see in a couple of weeks, he prays for our unity as Christians. And then for our purposes in verse 13 this morning, he prays to the Father concerning our joy. Now, this is very fascinating to me is I look at this prayer and as we study it together, uh, it, that he includes the subject of joy here like he does. It's surprising to me, may not be to you, but it's surprising to me that he makes it the priority that he makes it. So I'm reading through this prayer. And as I read the prayer, I think purity, uh, check, uh, protection, check, unity, check, uh, joy, Huh? If you had said to me, listen, Jesus prays this prayer on the night before his crucifixion for Christians. And there's four things that he prays about supremely for us. And you gave me the first three and asked me to begin to guess related to what the fourth one is. I don't know if you gave me 25 guesses, whether I would guess that joy would be the priority that he makes it in our lives related to this prayer. Remember when we talked a number of weeks ago, and I mentioned the title of Warren Wearsby's book on John chapter 17, and uh, the title of it being, Listen, Jesus is Praying. And so the prayer teaches us a lot about our Savior, teaches us a lot about Jesus, what he thinks, what's important to him. And one of the things that it teaches us is that clearly Jesus does not want to be known for joyless disciples. He does not, I mean, he emphatically does not want to be known around the world as the head of a joyless religion. And so this really gets my attention that our lives as Christians are to be fully characterized by joy and how massively important this is to him. I think it's important to realize that happiness and joy are two entirely different things. Uh, sometimes the, those terms are, are used interchangeably in our culture and we don't differentiate between the two. Happiness is an emotion. It's an emotion that is dependent upon favorable circumstances. For instance, if I get a sizable tax return. I'm very, very happy over that tax return. Very, very excited about it. Happy, happy, happy. People say, what in the world got into Kyle? So I get my tax return. And as I'm driving to the bank in order to deposit it or to cash it, all of a sudden my transmission goes out in my truck for the exact amount of 
of the tax return. Unhappy, unhappy. Children, stay away from father. Unhappy. Give him some space. Uh, unhappy. You begin dating someone. You really like them. Happy, 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 happy. It's wonderful to watch uh, in a life. And then that other person breaks up with you because they're not nearly as impressed with you as you are with them. And so it becomes unhappy, unhappy, unhappy. I'll never fall in love again. I could write a million heartbreak uh, love songs uh, in, in what I'm under the weight of right now, unhappy. And so because happiness is tied to our circumstances, it's very unstable and very, very inconsistent in life because one set of circumstances produces it on one day. And then a completely different set of circumstances victimizes the happiness on the next day, and it's long gone. Now, Christian joy is something far deeper than happiness, because Christian joy is not founded supremely upon my physical circumstances, but it is founded upon the one utterly unchanging and unshakable person and thing in all of the universe, and that is God himself. The Bible declares concerning the Holy Spirit who indwells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, we notice, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such, Paul said, there is no law. And so our joy is based upon God's declaration, who he is, what he is, his declaration of uh, what he tells us we now are because we're Christians. Our joy is based upon all of the promises that he gives us in his word and that are ours because of our faith in Christ. And because God never changes and because his word never changes, the joy it can remain a constant in our lives as well. That's why Paul wrote in writing to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. He writes that from a Roman prison. And, and yet he calls on, on uh, uh, us as Christians to live a life of joy because, and, and he exhorts us to do that, because he knows that as Christians, our cause for joy never changes. Now, Christian joy is not simply an emotion. Uh, it abides in an even deeper place in our lives than our emotions. In fact, I think, interestingly, we can be sad emotionally and filled with joy all at the same time. And, uh, and the reason that we can feel that, have that joy in our spirit, and yet in our emotions be sad, is because those are two entirely different parts of who we are as Christians. In our spirit, the Bible talks about God's Holy Spirit comes into our lives when we're born again. This is called the new man in the Bible. This is called the inner man. Uh, this is the something this living thing that happens inside of us, this creation that occurs inside of us when God the Holy Spirit enters into our life, when we make Jesus 
our Savior. That new nature that is in our lives, that spiritual nature, is deeper than what we are emotionally. Let me try to explain it in this way. If you've ever witnessed the final days or the final hours of a Christian who is dying, typically because of a protracted illness, and very often at some point they will uh, lose their ability to speak. That will start to shut down. And so they can hear you, but they can't any longer respond to what it is that you're saying to them. And then later, as things progress, their mind starts to go inward. They don't have the energy or the strength sometimes to even process what we're trying to say to them in conversation and uh, and, and to concentrate on it or to hear it. And, and so even what we're saying to them is no longer being heard or being processed. And sometimes people get concerned at that particular point because they feel like now we have lost the ability to be a comfort uh, to our loved one who is now in this condition. But way down inside, deep down inside of every Christian, at our core, the deepest part of our life, what the Bible calls our spirit, where we commune with God, where we have a personal relationship with God. It's way deeper than our thinking. It's way deeper than our emotions and our feelings in our life. In the realm of their spirit, God is faithfully ministering his grace to them. And that's comforting to know. When I can no longer comfort them, with a touch of my hand or a kiss. I can't any longer comfort them with my words to realize that God's Holy Spirit lives inside of them and is working and ministering His grace, His grace taking all the forms that it needs to way down in the realm of their spirit. He's ministering to them and, and ministering when we no longer can minister to them. And He's being everything that He knows they need Him to be in order for them to pass from this life to the next. I remember hearing years ago when uh, I was listening to Gail Irwin speak about his father, and he used him as an illustration in a Bible study, and so I'm free to as well. And his father had, was raised in the church, had been used by the Lord to start uh, many uh, churches, and uh, a little bit later in life, he was involved in a very serious uh, airplane accident. And uh, because of that accident, he ended up uh, severely uh, brain damaged and his father would need to be cared for for the rest of his life. But Gail said something interesting happened to his father every time they would take him to church. And uh, because when they would go to church and he would then hear these old hymns that he was familiar with prior to the accident, his father, he said, would become a completely different person and uh, sing them along just like everybody else. And what was happening there was the songs, what was, and, and what God was doing was going way beyond the mind or the thinking and the brain damage that was there, way beyond deeper than the emotions, and right into his spirit. And he was connecting with what was happening in that room in his spirit. 
And the reason that that happens, happened for him and happens for us, is because there's a part of us, deep inside of each of us as Christians, where we commune with God, that, uh, that, that what happens there, it lives, it abides, and it goes on in our lives, whatever our outward circumstances. And it's in that place where our joy comes from, comes out of that relationship with God and out of the confidence in his promises that he has given to us and borne witness to in our spirits. And so our joy is is something way deeper than our thinking and than our emotions. Now, the reason that this is important to understand, you say, why belabor all of this? The reason it's important to understand is that happiness is often even more fleeting in the life of a Christian in this fallen world than it is in the life of someone who doesn't know the Lord. Because we face all of the problems, all of the attacks upon our happiness that everyone else in the world faces. Whether they know God or they don't know God. We face the same threat of crime. The same threat of gangs. The same threat of war. We bear the brunt of economic turn down, uh, downturns and layoffs just like everybody else. We have problems with our children like everybody else does. We have challenges in our marriages just like everyone else does. We get sick just like everyone else does, and on and on. But as Jesus has explained in this prayer, we face even things that the world doesn't face. We face a persecution for our faith, a persecution for being faithful to God and to His Word. We also uh, face the opposition of the devil in the form of temptations and spiritual warfare. And because we face challenges in our life, challenges to our happiness, challenges that even the world doesn't face, God has supplied us with a cause for joy that is greater than the difficulty of any circumstance that we may face in life. Blessings that are ours, that are unchanging and lie firmly beyond the reach of all of the changing circumstances of life. What are some of the things that we have to rejoice in no matter what's happening in the world? Salvation. Forgiveness. How big of a deal is it? How joy-filling is it in our lives not to be burdened and tormented by the guilt of our past sin and our past lives. How wonderful is it and how joy-producing is it in our lives to realize as we sit here today that we're saved. We are on our way to heaven. One day we're going to stand on that glassy sea and we're going to see our Lord face to face and that that will be our portion forever and ever. There's a story of a woman who came up to Charles Spurgeon in the realm of this whole thing of being forgiven and having salvation and the joy that it produces. She said, Ah, Mr. Spurgeon, if Jesus Christ does save me, he shall never hear the end of it. He shouldn't. (laughs) 
not related to her, not related to us. It's always cause for joy, saved and forgiven. We have peace with God. I lay my head down on the pillow every night, no matter what's going on in the world. I have peace with God. I have the confidence that He's with me. I have the confidence that He's for me, that He's got the grace for tonight. He's got the grace for tomorrow. These blessings to live a changed life that we're no longer what we once were, but He's made us into a new creation. There's the joy of the power of the Holy Spirit to live free of the sin that once held us in bondage. The joy of knowing that I'm indwelt by God. The joy like the Braley's did of hearing God leading them to gospel for Asia. The joy of us hearing His voice on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, leading us by His peace. The joy of being able to again open up His Word, not independent of God, but in fellowship with God and Him making it a living book as we would read at any time of the day or night. The privilege of prayer, the privilege of having a living hope and a Savior that has conquered death so that that enemy is no longer our enemy. And on and on and on we could go. And all of these things and more are a constant source and cause for joy no matter what else is happening in our lives. Now, notice Jesus refers to my joy. It's very fascinating, and I think very important to notice, that Jesus was joyous, and his life and his ministry were marked by joy. I want you to think about that for a moment. I want that to sink in. Jesus was joyous. To be around him, to be around his ministry, to be around his life, his contact with people in this world was to come into contact with a joy-filled person, God-man. He was joyous in his life and in his ministry. Through all of his suffering, all of his rejection and all the mistreatment and the slander and the blasphemies that were directed against him, he never, ever lost his joy now, what this tells us is that joy is not a mark of carnality. It isn't a mark of carelessness concerning spiritual things. But to possess joy is to possess a deeply spiritual characteristic of our life. It is the mark of a deeply spiritual person. There's a certain kind of person who believes that we have to suffer in a relationship with God or we're not doing it right. And their convictions are so strong that if you're not suffering, they will make up man-made rules and traditions on God's behalf and encumber you with them so that by the time they get done with you, you will be suffering. They can hardly stand a joyous Christian. Or a joy-filled Christian. They have the idea that the more miserable you are, the more spiritual you are. And that's a prevalent kind of idea, even among Christians. That somehow being filled with joy and this effervescence and overflow of the Holy Spirit means that this person isn't quite as spiritual as this person over here who is always stern looking or sober, you know, in their outward countenance or 
uh, or, or that, you know, every single thing that comes out of their mouth has, you know, the weight of, the, uh, you know, of, of uh, you know, a thousand pounds in terms of depth and, and weight. Be careful if you're suspicious of joy. Be careful if it bugs you when you see it in other Christians. Be careful if when you see it in other Christians, you esteem them to be less spiritual than you because of it. Be careful if you equate spirituality solely with things like fasting and sorrow and mourning. There's a place for all of those things, but they are never ever to affect our joy. Or if we begin to think that the Christian life is just to be this one of just unbroken uh, joyless heaviness and, and existence or else God's reputation in the world is going to be ruined. Again, Jesus' life and his ministry were marked by joy. The joy of obeying the Father. The joy of serving the Father. The joy of being in fellowship with the Father. The joy of providing you and I with salvation, demonstrating the Father's love toward us. And he wants his kingdom in this world to be known for joy and not for joylessness. He does not want to be known for by joyless disciples or followers. And so to have joy is to be like Christ. It's to be like Christ. Case closed. So that tells us that joy is a Christian characteristic and it's important for us never to forget that, that joy is spiritual too. And so, dear Christian, don't ever lose your joy. Don't ever talk yourself out of it, being too joyous and what people might think of it. And certainly don't let any other person take it away from you. Let me close with this in noticing the how of joy. I could use a little more joy. Or some of us might sit here today and say, well, I would hardly be uh, known, I suppose, if you were to ask the average person that knows me. I don't know that joy would make the top ten list of characteristics of my life. Perhaps I need a little bit of help here related to that. We all have different personalities, uh, different levels of effervescence related to our lives or um, you know, and so some of us need a little more help than, than perhaps others in staying in this place. What is our part in this how of joy? Notice Jesus, he prayed to the Father that his joy, Jesus' joy, would be fulfilled in us. Well, there's a our part in it, and then there's a God the Father part in it. Our part in it is we need to know, first of all, that this area of joy is important to Jesus, that it's lawful, that it's okay to be joyous as a Christian. And then practically, we need to be continually setting our minds upon the things that produce this deep, abiding joy in our lives, no matter what the circumstances are in our lives. Putting our hearts and our minds and our spirits, setting them on all of the things that Christ has done for us in his life and in his death and his burial and in his resurrection to set our minds on 
all that he is currently doing in our lives. The old saying is, you know, we're not what we're going to be, but we're not what we once were either. And sometimes it's good to just stop and to realize, wow, God is making great changes in my life. Like them to happen faster, maybe. Others would surely like them to happen faster. But the progress is occurring there. And it's a cause for great joy that he is active in our lives. He is really changing us supernaturally. Setting our minds upon all of the promises that God has given us in his word. Setting our our hearts and our minds on all of the blessings that he bestows upon us each day. All of these things that are ours 24-7, all the time. And they are ours uh, without interruption because all of these things that come from God, again, are beyond the reach of the circumstances of this life, no matter whether they're international or national or state level or personal. These things that come from God, these blessings from God, they are unaffected by anything that's happening in the world or by anything that's happening in our individual lives. Now, the father's part in all of this is Jesus is praying for him to be very actively involved in the nurturing and development of this love in our lives. His part is to keep us reminded of all of these things. To remind us of all of these blessings, to remind us of the Father, of all of his promises that are there in the word. To remind us that, yes, this circumstances hit you in your marriage. This circumstances hit you related to your children. This circumstances hit you related to your job or in your neighborhood or this uh, you know, relationship has been uh, affected in, the, in this way. These things have absolutely occurred in your life. But all of these things are, are unmoved. All of these things from God and by God in our lives, all of them are unaffected by what's happening there in these areas of our life. And to remind us of all of those promises, all of those things, and then to bring us to a place where we value these things that are beyond the reach of the world's circumstances, where we begin to place a value on them more than any material thing or experience or circumstance in life. And, you know, that doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes it will mean the loss of material things, the loss of jobs or positions, the loss of relationships in life. It'll be those things oftentimes that will teach us how fleeting everything is in life in this fallen world. How quickly everything can change in our lives. Can change in an hour. Can change in a minute. And when that disappointment comes, and we realize I have built, even as a Christian, 80%, 90%, 50% of my life is built completely on a quest for happiness, which is absolutely fleeting, rather than building my life on the joy that comes with putting my focus on the things that God is doing in my life and the things that God has brought into my life because of Christ. And when that Disappointment hits with the loss so often of these different things. 
and we're filled with unhappiness as a result. So often it brings us to a place where we pray, Lord, I don't want my mind and I don't want my emotions to be so invested in what is so fleeting and so fragile in this world. I never want to be hurt like this again. I never want to be disappointed like this again. I want my heart, I want my mind, I want my spirit to be set upon what comes from you. And because it comes from you, it's sure and it's stable and it's a cause for joy. And that then, out of a difficult circumstance, moves us so often inch by inch or foot by foot or mile by mile. Sometimes a a great difficulty can cause us to take a great leap forward and understanding the great difference between happiness and, the, and, and joy and to say, I want to divest myself of this pursuit of happiness that's guaranteed in the Constitution but is not guaranteed in life. And I want to invest my life, my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength in this thing called joy which will never disappoint me because God never changes and his word never changes. And so often these difficulties come into our life. And I have no doubt that I'm speaking to one or two here this morning where some great crashing difficulty has occurred. And it's not the end of the world for you. But so often one of the consequences of how God works it together for good is he uses that great and difficult event to move you off of the path of pursuing this impossible thing called happiness in this fallen world to then move you and place you more fully on the path of joy. Joy can become, happiness can become a casualty of life in this fallen world. And thus Jesus asked the Father here to be directly involved in not allowing our lives to be placed upon, uh, built upon that happiness. Even joy in our lives can be greatly, greatly threatened by changes that happen. In this fallen world, again, relationships that we thought would last forever and they don't jobs that we thought would last a long time and they don't talk about health, talk about children, talk about all kinds of different directions and the disappointments. And there's great assault even upon the upon the joy walking in joy is a Christian. And thus Jesus asked the Father to be directly involved in not allowing the loss of joy to occur in our lives as his disciples. And praise the Lord for that. The active involvement of God Almighty, the person of the Holy Spirit inside of our lives, working not only so that we will not lose our Christian joy in this world, but so that it will be protected and even grow deeper still. And so praise the Lord for this thing called joy that we get to have that developed within our lives and the Father's great work of protecting it in our lives. It's a powerful thing to me 
I'm, um, I'm, I'm a happy guy, more or less, um, but I'm a pretty serious person about life, about eternity. Always have been. Always, I've always been an old man, <laughs> even in junior high. So I just looked at the, I just could look at things and see bottom lines and fast and and it was um, so I'm a pretty serious guy in life and I, and I but I really really am blessed by this passage that reveals to us and others in the scripture that just speak of how uh, how Christ does not want to be known. By joyless disciples, he does not want to be known in this world as the head of a joyless religion. And that really speaks to me to just surrender more fully to God's work in our lives, that this would become even more characteristic of each one of our lives. I used to be fairly joyless decades ago, but I'm just a really perky, happy guy now. So don't pin that on me as an identification forever. Where's a lampshade? Just kidding. Let's stand together and we'll pray.